Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at the new Disney film Mulan, the live-action remake that is uh, has been making headlines because it costs $30 to watch it at home, which is nuts. <laughs> uh, we're also going to take a look at I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the new Charlie Kaufman film, uh, surrealist kind of romantic drama that's on Netflix. Uh, we both watched that. We're going to take a look at that as well. We're going to talk about box offices around the globe opening back up and, and, and where theaters are and whether or not you should feel like you want to go back to the movies and how people are doing with it. And before we get to all that, when you get to the news, before we get to all of that, a, a, a quick disclaimer. I was talking to Andy about this before the show. Uh, I've been celebrating my wonderful wife's birthday today. And we got up early this morning and went to the zoo and then <laughs> got home and ate a bunch of rich food. And I'm like falling asleep in my chair over here. So if it sounds like I'm slipping into a coma, it's because I am. But I'm going to try to get fired up. I got a Coke Zero over here. I'm ready to I go. Will, I will do it. I will carry the show. Andy it's will okay. carry the show. He already knows. So it'll be fine. Uh, our first story this week. Twitch now lets anyone host an online movie party with the Amazon Prime video library. This is nuts. This is. I think this is a headline that's like going to fly under the radar. And a lot of people aren't going to catch this. And I think this is... Is a really big deal. Andy, can you talk through this one a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So Amazon Prime, like Netflix, uh, has a, a part a watch party app. Um, but recently, and so does Twitch actually, but recently Twitch combined with Amazon Prime to let streamers actually stream movies, which before, it's not that they couldn't do it, it's that they weren't allowed to do it uh, more or less because th- there's copyright issues, there's money issues. Uh, but now if, if someone wants to host a, a watch party and have like 100 or... I don't even know what the limit is, uh, but everyone does have to have an account, but they can stream. And this is big deal because apparently um, non-gaming um, streams are actually surpassing gaming streams on Twitch. But Twitch was built with gaming in mind, but other forms of of, stream, of group streaming are, are kind of surpassing that. And, and group film watching is one of them. Yeah, it, it, this is this is part of why that's so wild. One that like non-gaming streams are doing more successful on Twitch, being more successful on Twitch than, than gaming-related streams. I remember when they started to introduce, like... Because I've, I've been a casual Twitch watcher for a while, um, and I remember when they started to introduce, like, talking streams only, like, a cat, like its own category, like talking or, like, music or, like, crafts or art and stuff. And I remember thinking, like, that stuff's so lame. They should not be doing that here. That's not what people want. But, like, clearly it is. Be- clearly people want, want that stuff. Um, so great for them. Uh, being able to watch films on the platform though is crazy. Even even if you've got watch parties, right? Even if you have people who already have accounts, the idea that you could stream a film for other people to see and interact with and live chat with is um, it's nuts. Like I don't even know how distribution rights work for that stuff, right? Like, uh, well, that guess- is something that gets a little tricky um, depending on uh, it's basically region locked. So for instance, things that are available here, but not in the UK, you wouldn't be able to, to stream to users in the UK and, and vice versa. So there's still a lot of uh, copyright issues and location uh, issues about what you can stream. But if you can get everyone on the same page, you can sit and watch a movie with your friends or a big time streamer could host a party with, um, you know, a thousand of their friends. Yeah, and if you're doing, you know, if you've got like a VPN or something, I'm sure there's ways, ways around it. But even still, like, it's interesting to see how Amazon is bringing Twitch into kind of its film, 
I don't know the the film portion of its company because because you wouldn't think it would it would connect, but it does. People really like doing this stuff. And back when we tried Netflix Party a few months back, it turned out like oh, it's actually really enjoyable to watch movies online with your friends. Like being able to chat and talk about them is a really cool time. So I'm glad it's working. I'm glad it's growing. I hope companies like Netflix jump on board because uh, I, it 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 you know it it slaps. It's a bop, right. as kids say. <laughs> well, and what's interesting, so right now it's only for desktop, but soon it will be on their mobile apps. And I think that's going to be a big difference because that's what we've talked about. Like, it if you can use your, your mobile device to, to do the chat part, um, then that kind of changes things as well. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, the biggest thing would be like, you can stream to like your TV and then chat via your phone. That would be the, the ideal yep. thing. I'm that's, sure we'll get that's there. That's the whole bag. If I could have it on my television and I can use my phone as a chat room, we're on our way. Like that's, that's the money. That's what they need to figure out. And I know that's not easy, but hopefully we've got Twitch integrating this now. Amazon owns it. They got that Jeff Bezos money. It'll work, right? If anybody can make it work, uh, it's, it's those guys. Uh, our other story this week Tenet debuts to a debut debuts debuts to a twenty million dollar opening in the U.S. and nearly one hundred and fifty million dollars globally. Uh, Andy, what do you know about this? Well, it, it's we live in strange times, and normally these would be un, underwhelming numbers. Like twenty million is the the lowest opening since the the Prestige, but we're obviously living in a pandemic a pandemic era theaters are not all open and like the big markets aren't open new york and la the markets that are open are only open at like 50 percent capacity so it's a much different world so 20 million dollars is actually really good and i think it's it's actually probably the biggest weekend that that in the u.s box office in, in a while and it's obviously doing really well overseas it will need to make you know around a uh, 500 million i think to actually break even but it's on its way there yeah, five hundred million is the hot number for Tenant. If they clear five hundred million, they are now making money. Until then, they are taking a loss. Five hundred million is breaking even, which is nuts. Remember, uh, Warner Brothers is cutting a lot of odd new deals to make these numbers work. Right? They're having theaters run Tenant in more houses and run it longer which is great for people who haven't seen it yet. It'll be in theaters for a while. They're demanding more ads run in front of it. They're demanding more showtimes for it. They're demanding a bigger cut of box office profits, all in the service of making these numbers work so this movie turns out profitable. Fortunately for Christopher Nolan, this this movie, just like every other movie that comes out in 2020, is going to have an asterisk next to it for the end of time, right? Everybody's going to know, hey, this was the year coronavirus happened. So yeah, Tenet may not have made quite as much money as it would have, but coronavirus and it'll get written mm-hmm. off. Like no, nobody's going to lose their job. Christopher Nolan is not going to fall out of filmmaking because this movie doesn't make its money back. If anything, I'm sure we'll have just as much budget for his next film, regardless of how well this movie does, because he's got the star power and he's got the staying power and he's got the name of Christopher Nolan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and the other important thing is there's not a lot of competition right now. It's not like any, you know, you would normally be up against, you know, five, ten other movies. There is, you know, one or two other new films out, and it's things like The New Mutants, which is a little underwhelming. And so, like you said, this can, even though theaters are at 50% capacity, if you can play in twice as many houses as you normally would, you're actually kind of filling as many houses as as you normally would. So it is balancing out for Tenet, and I think it is going to be, it is going to have a very long run in the theaters because there's nothing else coming out. Yeah. So 
we're going to talk about more uh, more about theaters opening in our uh, middle segment here between our two reviews. So we'll get more into this in regards to more films. But I mean, it's interesting to watch, um, especially considering the way theaters are socially distanced, right? I mean, you're only filling up like 30% of a house on a full night. So that will affect sales numbers and tickets are a little cheaper sometimes, but not everywhere, like depends on where you go. So that'll affect profits. Like, I don't know. I, I'm I'm really intrigued to see what happens long term with this film. I guess 150 globally, I think, is a pretty good start, though. I, I really do. I don't know if that means they're on track to hit 500. Time will tell. Right. What, what do you think? I think they'll get close. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Maybe not over the mark, but I think they'll get close. Yeah, I mean, the, the theaters, like we said, theaters are opening slowly. It's going to be a word of mouth thing. It's going to be, uh, it's the only movie to see thing. So yep. I, I think it I think it has a good chance. Yeah. And with that being said, we should move on to another film that came out recently. Andy's graciously agreed to take the summary on this one. Andy, please take it away. Disney's Mulan. Loyal, brave, and true. It is my duty to protect my family. So this is the latest in the long line of Disney animated remakes. Uh, this is the live action of the based on the 1998 classic uh, Mulan, which tells the story of a young Chinese girl who. Um, to, in order to save her father from having to, to join the army, she goes in his place and dresses up as a man and has to kind of pass it as a man uh, throughout the film. And eventually it is found out, but, um, you know, saves China from the invading Huns, I think it is. Yeah, the, uh, the Huns. Um, this is very different from uh, the 1998 version and in a lot of the other remakes, uh, there are no songs. There is no Mushu. Um, it, it looked like it was going to be a little bit more, uh, grown up, uh, version of the film. Um, it stars, uh, Yifei Liu as Mulan, Donnie Yen as Commander Tung. And we also have some other names, Jet Li and Jason Scott Lee are, are also in this. Um, I was really kind of underwhelmed <laughs> by this and I felt really, really annoyed at having paid $32 uh, to for premiere early access. Um, there are some things that work. I think it has a whole lot of problems and I was ultimately really disappointed uh, based on what, what was a phenomenal trailer. Like the trailer looks great. I want to see the movie that's advertised in the, in the trailer. Um, but overall I was pretty disappointed, what, what, but we can get into that later. Zach, what'd you think? Um, so I think in a lot of ways I was in the same boat as you, right? Like we saw the trailer for this and we thought, okay, this is good. Disney is finally taking these live action movies seriously, right? It's not just going to be auto-tuned Emma Watson singing like she's Belle in Beauty and the Beast. And it's not going to be these goofy Guy Ritchie Aladdin scenes where they're running around doing stuff, all right? We're cutting the music. We're cutting the green screen. We're going out to China to shoot on location. We got these big battle scenes. This is going to be cool. This is going to be like an epic. This is what this is supposed to be. I'm excited to watch Mulan. And like, it was just a good trailer. It totally isn't that. Um, <laughs> I mean, it tries. It really tries. And I, I we should talk about what works because there are some things that have been introduced in this new version that I think are an improvement on what came before, but it, ultimately it just falls short and it falls for the set, many of the same pitfalls that the other live action remakes 
uh, Fall 4, least of which being a $29.99 price tag on yeah. top of a Disney Plus subscription to see it. So let's jump into Mulan. Yes. <laughs> what's, the best, what's the first place to start here? Um, so we can start with with the plot. So the plot is, is very much the same. And like all the other remakes, if you've seen them, you know exactly what to look for. Um you know, we have we have Mulan growing up in in her village. She's kind of a troublemaker. Uh, you know, she, they have a scene where where they're trying to do a matchmaking with her, where her father has, gets conscripted into the army, where she goes to the like. These are all all the beats from from the original film are are there, uh, but it seems to really lack a lot of punch and a lot of drama. I was really looking forward to some real dramatic scenes, like you know when she takes her father's sword and armor, and I was like, oh, this is going to be there's some tr- time for some real drama. And, it, and it's like yeah. it's like over in a, in a flash. Like they just kind of breeze through a lot of these real important points, and there's no like you know memorable lines or really good script, and so. Like a lot of other, um, all the other remakes, you have good stars, a lot of money spent on effects, but, you know, pretty mediocre writing. Yeah, um, the plot follows many of the beats of the original, of course, these remakes usually do, but it ta- it makes some departures uh, uh, to do new things. Number one, uh, Mulan is a gifted individual in the beginning of this film. She has chi, uh, which is... Uh, like kind of almost like a spidey sense or like a matrix (laughs) bullet time kind of thing where like you can perceive things a little faster than everybody else and you can like do things like kick spears and arrows out of the air like because you can see them coming Um, and she's a gifted child at the beginning of the film so when she decides to go take her place in the art take her father's place in the army she has uncanny abilities other people don't have that wasn't in the original in the original film she was just a girl uh and and we'll talk about that in a second uh also um this movie does not have the ancestors as featured in the original uh it does not have mushu it does not have cricket uh well we have a character named cricket but does not like the original cricket um we do have the inclusion of a like a like a sorceress that takes the place of 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 our antagonist hawk in the film, there's a hawk that followed around Shan Yu, right? Yeah. Hung, hung on her shoulder. Now that hawk is like a, a, a sorceress. She's she's a wizard or a witch. And uh, she, like Mulan, has this kind of really cool arc where she, she disguises herself as men to fit in. Which is actually really interesting to play alongside of our other of our of our Mulan that we know. That's that's an interesting development that I think we should talk more about. That's new. But otherwise, they've also lost the songs. <laughs> and I'm not saying Mulan has to be a musical to work, but like, man, like in the climax of your film, when you hit me with an orchestral reprise of of, of When Will My Reflection Show, and it's not actually in the film, it doesn't mean <laughs> anything. Like, and so much of this film feels like it requires you to have seen the original to understand what's happening and where it's going. I feel like if I was a kid coming in fresh, I would have no idea what was happening in this movie. It would just be confusing. Yeah, like the the nostalgia bait is so strong. And the thing is, because they didn't make a more kind of grown-up movie, which I thought they were going to do, you know, because as I thought they're taking out the songs, you know, there's battle scenes. It looks like it's going to be maybe. And, and you know, we, we don't need like the Zack Snyder, Christopher Nolan, dark, gritty Mulan remake. We don't need that. But it's P- PG-13. It would be nice for it to be at least a little bit more adult. But since it's not, like, it feels like it really needs the songs. It feels like if you're not going to go into a more serious movie then you should have probably kept the the musical numbers that that are so popular right well some of the songs the songs serve 
really three purposes, right? I mean, they're probably more, but off, off the top of my head, the songs do three things. One, they move our story along, which is important because this movie doesn't do a whole lot of like, you don't see characters traveling a whole lot in this film. It's really weird. Mulan leaves leaves to go to, to the, the boot camp, essentially, and it shows her leaving. And then the next scene, she's like, essentially there 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 is a brief in between but otherwise like that's it you don't get like how far away is it from her camp how, how long did she have to travel like you never really get any of that and that's not the whole film like later when they when when the, when the army decides hey we're gonna head to the palace to save the emperor it's like instant and they're there and it's like you don't get any sense of like movement and time which is one of the things the songs do right they they progress our characters there's development you get the be a man song they're learning how to train and become soldiers that's a feature of the song. Secondly, they add a little bit of humanity, which like this movie actually kind of needed <laughs> because without these moments of like sincerity, our characters come off feeling wooden and cold, which is easy to feel in Imperial China when it's a movie about a bunch of soldiers. And unfortunately, this live action remake falls into that trap. It just kind of feels wooden and cold. And three, sorry, I know. I, no, keep going, <laughs> I, keep going. I, I'm keep almost going. done. It adds humility. It's funny. It's good for a laugh. It breaks up the tension. It's a moment when you can relax and you can kind of turn your brain off and just enjoy what's happening. This movie doesn't have that. It's just kind of serious the whole way through. And like, that's not, that doesn't, it's not necessarily a good thing, especially when it's a little over edited and it's a little wooden. So uh, that that's, that's an issue with the music that I think should have been there along with you know, a character like Mushu who can break up the tension. Character like Eddie Murphy who can who can kind of cut 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 through that with a knife, and suddenly it's a little funnier. You get these poignant scenes with Mulan in the original animated version where she's vulnerable and she's able to talk to Mushu. It's like, well, hey, I'm in disguise, and this isn't really who I am. This doesn't have any of that. She doesn't she doesn't have those moments of like self reflection with the audience. She she we never get inside of her head when she is dressed as a man. She's just cold wooden army man pretty much, um, and that totally doesn't work. Well, you mentioned like kind of wooden characters. So a lot of our supporting characters fall into this this trap, uh, particularly when she gets to the army camp and, and she kind of, you know, meets the other soldiers and, whom she befriends. And this is a big part of the animated feature where she has like the, the kind of three uh, three sidekicks. Um, this we have like, a, you know, a band of like four or five soldiers um, and they are kind of indistinguishable, like in personality, in trait. Like they, you know, they're supposed to be filling in for those people, but they have, they all sound the same. They're all dressed the same. Like they, it's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's just hard to tell them apart, like personality wise, they, because they have no personality. Um, some of the more interesting stuff that we, that we have, haven't mentioned is actually the newer things. Like they, they do, they dig into like the Huns a little bit more with uh, Jason Scott Lee as Bori Khan and Gong Lee as the, uh, the sorceress, which, which is another kind of issue that we'll talk on is this this movie tries to appeal to two audiences and in doing so it actually doesn't appeal to either one right it doesn't really land in in adult or or child camp unfortunately which is weird you know for a film that's supposed to be for families like you'd think it'd get at least one right but it really doesn't our, our casting unfortunately is not okay let me rephrase this the casting's not bad it's actually pretty good uh, i actually really liked who's in this and there are moments when many of these actors and actresses have t- have time to shine, unfortunately, there's just not enough like sincerity here for it to matter. Like, it just comes off feeling dull. Uh, a great example: the training sequence, right? 
be a man normally in the original version. You know it. You can probably hum it. If you're listening to the show, you probably already know it. Um, that's not here. So we get training sequences with like some orchestral music, but like no like real heart and soul to it. And our characters are running around trying to carry like buckets we need a of montage. Water. Yeah, right. And our, our our characters are running around trying to carry buckets of water up a hill and trying to trying to shoot things with archery and they're not any good at it. And then slowly they start to get better, but like it doesn't have any of the character that the original had because none of that's there. And that's one example there. There pretty much the whole film is this way. And what's really frustrating is Mulan is supposed to have like a superpower in this. She has G. Yeah. <laughs> and so like naturally oh, when gosh. she starts doing well at the training, like it's not because she's like worked hard and overcome adversity to like be a woman who's succeeding among men. It's not because she's outsmarted her comrades or because she's strategized better than they have. It's because she's literally born with it. <laughs> and that's, that's frustrating. Like, yeah, not, I, I she's, think she's just gifted, you know? Yeah, I think they they actually end up undermining their their own like feminist narrative by yes. yeah, giving in endowing her with what is essentially superpowers, which we see from the very first scene. And we see her kind of and and what they're doing, they're attempting to to do, you know, tap into some like like wushu wusha style um filmmaking, which which is like if you've seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon or or Hero or or any of that style. Yeah, so the, and that's where you see people floating around, uh, or like you know, jumping from building to building. Like th- yeah. this is real common, but for they bring in a little bit of that, but they only do it to Mulan. No one else kind of kind of has that, and uh, it, it it just feels really out of place because it's not really done stylistically correct, um, which says a lot about what's happening behind the the screen. And so you just kind of get a superhero instead of like a, a girl or a woman who can keep up with the men and can be just as smart and as tough. It's just like, Oh, just wait for her to unleash her superpowers. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the action scenes because I need to talk about those. The action scenes in this are over edited. And if you don't know what that means, there's, there's a great clip from the movie taken three starring Liam Neeson, where <laughs> Liam Neeson's character in the film has to hop over a fence during like a chase sequence, like a chain link fence. And there's like, 14 cuts of like in in 10 seconds of this character hopping a fence because they want it to have action and movement and so there's all these different like the camera's on the ground over here and that's up by here and that's over his shoulder and like it's it's ridiculous it's over edited is what it is it's clumsy and it's too much all of the action scenes in this not only suffer from over editing but they're all shot in a really high frame rate because they wanted to be able to add slow-mo later but when they shot these, they didn't know where they were going to add slow-mo. So they just shot every action scene in a high frame rate. And it comes off looking somehow like cheap. Like it looks like fake. It doesn't, it doesn't, things yeah. don't look quite as fluid as they should. And add in the like wire jumping stuff from like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. There's a bit of that in here, which feels like an homage, but none of it is done nearly as well as it's done in those older Kung Fu films. So none of it adds up. Like it all, it all just <laughs> feels like clumsy and bad. Um, which right, is really and, a shame. and that's what I, I'm saying. Like, and what I meant by two audiences is that this is uh, attempting to appeal to both American and Chinese audiences, and mm-hmm. I think it's kind of failing for both because that's one of the reasons that they took out Mushu because uh, apparently the, the original Mulan was not a 
a big hit over in China and they, they take issues with some of the things, particularly Mushu and the treatment of ancestors. And so they're trying to eliminate things that are going to offend one audience and that ends up alien alienating another. And, and it works on both sides. And like, for instance, uh, Jet Li, who, who plays the emperor here, he's actually the same age as Donnie Yen, which is funny because um, he's <laughs> played so much over. Yeah. He, his voice is dubbed for whatever reason they dubbed over his like voice. Like the whole film. I don't think he ever actually has any speaking lines. Yeah. And, and I, and I think may like he does have a strong strong accent but I, I didn't think it was bad enough to be dubbed over but there's I, I I wonder if some of the soldiers were as well but you know he, he's a great martial artist he has nothing to do martial arts wise like he doesn't do any stunts he does he's just he plays the emperor because he's deadly yeah uh, and and also the emperor in this is much colder than, than the original emperor the original emperor is kind of like this wise tall guy with this long beard who's kind of quiet he, this dude's like, we're going to kill the Huns. Like, it's really aggressive. And like, I don't know if that's supposed to be some kind of dig at like male roles in like Imperial China or like a foil for like Mulan's character and like soft femininity, but it doesn't work. Like it's, it's not, it, it feels like a low rent version of the original. It's, it's, it's a, it's a reinterpretation that isn't better. I think it's worse. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah and this also, Yeah, and this also extends to a handful of locations in the film, set pieces that aren't as big. I understand it's hard to compete with animation. I get it. Animation is something that is not real. It is unreal. It is it is imagination made manifest. So it is not easy to have Mulan have a big showdown in a palace at night with half of China watching from, from the ground, right? Like they do in the original animated film. But what you shouldn't do, which is what they do in this movie is move that fight to another location and just blow that off because it doesn't like the original literally did it better. Like in, and, and this does not do it in a way that's serviceable. Like it just does it worse. Um, and super frustrating. Cause like, again, the trailer was so strong for this. Like it, it on the, on the tin, it reads like it's going to be a really epic war film, but it just does not come off that way. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the action. So Disney kind of ends up in a weird place where this is like, you know, it's essentially a war epic period piece, but it's Disney and it's family friendly and they can't have like, you know, too much like stabbing and shooting and like sword, sword yeah. play. So they, they, they have to do, you know, real soft PG, PG, PG 13 violence. I think this was, they wanted it to be PG, but because there, there is a lot of like sword play and stuff, it, it does get a PG 13 rating, but it's, it's really, really soft. Um, on, on the violence and so it's just it's weird because they they either needed to embrace it more or like i said because it looks like a more serious war film but they're they're having to be real cautious on the on the violence part and it just you get to this weird mix it doesn't really work yeah it 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 really doesn't um the film ultimately uh ends with a reprise of the famous song from the original film reflections by christina aguilera who originally wrote it that's in the credits that's the only actual like song from the original film that we get. Otherwise, the the the, or- the orchestral score has some beats, and they do a big version of that towards the end of the film of, of reflections, which is great. But like, <laughs> I don't like I don't know, man. I don't know if they make these movies by committee or like if they're just too scared to like hand off properties like this to filmmakers that I think are really passionate about them. But like. This stuff doesn't, it doesn't work. Like they've, they've tried to make these things and they all fall flat. And just like, just like every other live action film, uh, 
I, I, I think the original is better. And and I feel like a freaking boomer when I say that. Like, <laughs> oh, go see the original. It's better. But, like, dude, across the board, it is a better film. Uh, the characters are more dynamic. Like, the the, the, the settings are more interesting. There's certainly visually more more aesthetically pleasing. There's songs and dance and pacing and, like, humor. And, and like, it's just none of this none of this has that. It tries to be an epic war movie that is not epic and is not a war film. And, and it's just kind of dull. Well, I don't understand how you would spend, like this was an incredibly expensive film, $200 million. They filmed on location in China, um, which a lot of times it, it, it doesn't look like that because there's a lot of CGI. So I can't tell like what is real and, and what is, and the landscapes, unfortunately kind of get lost. Um, but yeah, t- how do you spend $200 million, have these big stars, shoot on location, and then just have a really mediocre script? Like, how do you not make improve on, on the story, or how do you not make it a little bit more grown up? That was the thing I was looking forward to. I was like, okay, this is like a war epic. This is, you know, they got these big stars. They got live action. You know, it's good. And, th- and some of the stuff does look good. Like the, um, the Huns particularly look good. There's a scene where all like, there's like nine leaders and they're all on horses and it looks really good. They look like the, the nine black riders from uh, Lord of the Rings. Like there, there's some stuff that does visually look good, but, but the drama, the writing is just so bland. <laughs> yeah. I, and I don't know how that happens. There are, there are a few things that I think are, are powerful in this version that may not, maybe weren't presented as well. I think the new, addition of the sorcerer's character is good i think the way the huns are kind of presented is good i do like jet lee as the emperor even though all of his lines are dubbed which just i i what happened in the editing room that you just decided we got to dub everything jet lee said in this film he, he didn't he didn't do this movie for free you paid for him to say those lines like i don't i don't know what happened uh i i think the relationship with the father is actually maybe a little stronger in this uh, you get a lot more human emotion between the two of them but like that's really it like ultimately it just doesn't work as well I, I i do like this one more than a lot of the other live action films similarly to, to to aladdin i liked more but like this isn't it like they're not there yet they have they have not cracked the code on like how to make one of these good yeah and it's interesting because if this had come out in theaters it probably would have been a billion dollar film it probably would have really made a, a lot of money um, but since it didn't, and maybe that's why Disney didn't release it in, in theaters. Maybe they they know they're just going to take their losses, and you know whoever gets it gets it, and they're going to kind of move on. I think they watched this movie and they were so mad they spent two hundred million dollars on it. They thought, how can we pass on this pricing anger <laughs> to other people? We know we'll overcharge for it too, um, which is how we're, we're where we're at now. Are, are you ready for recommendations, Andy? I'm ready to. We are. Yeah, I'm, I'm running out of steam on this one. Andy, would you recommend... Actually, hold on. Let me amend this. Would you recommend Mulan now for $30 versus would you recommend it when it's available on Disney Plus in December for anybody who has a subscription? Okay, so for now, absolutely not. For not for $30 to $30, $32. <laughs> no. I mean, to, collectively, we spent $64 to see yeah. this. So that we're, we're, we take, we're yeah. taking the hit so you don't have to. Do not pay for early access. It is absolutely not not worth it. When it comes out, if you already subscribe to Disney Plus, when it comes out, when it's for free, sure, save it for for streaming. It, it's fine. It'll take up an afternoon, especially if you're a big fan of, of the original, which which I am. Like it is interesting to see an adaptation and and to kind of see what, what's different. But like the tra- if you've seen the trailer, you've seen all the cool stuff. You've seen like that. The trailer is, it looks great. Like I was really fooled yeah. um, that this was going to be something r- really cool, and it's really just kind of mediocre. 
Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Do not spend money on this movie. Um, if you already have Disney Plus or, you know, you, you got your family has it or something, you're already on it. Wait three months when it comes out December. Go nuts. It's two hours, which frankly feels a little long. But if you really like the original, go for it. And then as soon as you're done, take a break and then just go watch the original. And you'll be like, yeah, it is significantly better uh, in every way. I, 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 I'm frustrated they haven't figured this out yet because frankly, they're running out of, they're running out of remakes here. Like you're running out of original properties to trash. Please relax and like figure out. But they make so much money though. Like, oh my they, god, they, they really do. Make money. Yeah, they really do. And and it's probably because of schmucks like us who who are paying to see it. We pay to see it. You should not pay to see it. But you know, listen to our review and 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 subscribe to the show. All right, that's how you, that's how you can reward us for our valiant efforts here at paying paying to see Mulan. Uh, so yeah. That's Mulan. Um, you know, I'm I'm bummed. I really am. I was really looking forward to this one. So, do you think a theatrical viewing would have improved it? Do you think you would be not for me? No, 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 no. I I, I probably would have been more harsh. Well, no, I wouldn't have paid thirty dollars. I take it back. So, <laughs> I probably would have been maybe less harsh on it. But no, I don't think I would have felt any better. I I mean, I man, when I walked out of Aladdin, I, I was I was I had like a sour taste in my mouth, and and this was the sure, same sure. way. Like it just yeah. is not. They just have not got it yet. Like, they just don't. I do think a lot of those scenes will work better on a big screen, like some of these big battle scenes and landscape scenes. Like, that'll, that will look better, but, you know, a better screen isn't going to solve the writing problems. And, you know, a brief, a brief aside on this before we move on. You know, I was talking to Christine because we both watched this uh, afterwards. I think what I like so much about Aladdin, because I think Aladdin is probably my favorite of the remakes so far. I think what I like so much about it is that they didn't have Robin Williams. And it's not that Robin Williams wasn't good. It's that you literally didn't have that tentpole to lean on. So when they went back to make a remake, they said, shoot, now we have to innovate. Now we have to do something different. Mm-hmm. And they thought, well, okay, well, how can we do this in a similar way, but in a different direction? They got Will Smith and it kind of works. It's a different energy, but it works. And that different energy is exactly what a remake is supposed to have. It's supposed to feel a little different. It's supposed to hit a little different, but it's supposed to be similar in a way that kind of works. And like Aladdin had that. Because they had to. They didn't have Robin Williams to lean on. And if they had, you know he would have done it. He would have been just Robin Williams again. And I'm sure it would have been great. But I think that's what I like the most about that one is that, like, what, what do you call it? Uh, diversity requires innovation. It breeds creativity, right? You have to overcome these obstacles to get somewhere new. And, like, they just haven't had to do this yet. Right. Um, it's really frustrating. I, I, go ahead. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is I, I was so disappointed in this. I actually ended up watching uh, 2002's Hero, um, which is one of my favorite uh, Chinese movies. And mm-hmm. it also stars Jet Li and Donnie Yen are in that movie, too. But, like, I just wanted to see something that was just more authentically Chinese, uh, that was more true to, to their culture. And, like, that movie is – it's it's really deep on like a philosophical level on an artistic level. It, it is a celebration of like Chinese heritage and language is, is a big, so all these, and like Mulan just has like none of this. So I, I like had to watch a better movie to get the taste of this out of my mouth. Yeah. And also one more thing you, you like me were surprised that this film isn't in Chinese, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because there's, because there are so many Chinese actors, actresses, I, I kind of, expect yeah. everyone to start speaking Chinese and then I was like oh, of course it's for American audiences but there was like zero Chinese in, in the I was, whole thing I was so disappointed um, I really I really thought this whole film was going to be in Chinese and I was going <laughs> to read it with subtitles 
And I know there are people out there that would hear that and think like, why does that disappoint you that didn't happen? Because it's bold cinema, for God's sake. It would have been bold. It would have been Disney putting the putting the flag in the sand and going, you know what? This is what we're doing. This is the direction we're taking. We're committing. We're doing it. And instead, it has all the hallmarks of what should be a great Chinese film, except it's Americanized and lame, like cheap American Chinese food, dude. Ah! Ah! <laughs> like I, I said, was, I, I saw a Reddit comment that said Mulan is uh, like the panda express of, of film <laughs> it is it is that's such a great tight one sentence review of what's going on in this movie it's exactly what it feels like like it's it's this it's this homogenized version of of what should be something great and like it's such a bummer because mulan is such a great story and I'm, I'm really bummed that this one gets the same trash heap treatment that all the other remakes seem to get um because they don't deserve it but thanks for taking a swing at it disney I can't believe I paid $32 to watch this. I When you say 32 by the way, that's like $29.99 plus tax, right? That's yes, where that's yes, come from? Yes. Okay, gotcha, yeah. Um, yeah, that's 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 a bummer. So I'm done with Mulan. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm out. We're, <laughs> I'm we're ready I'm to move on. I'm done talking around it. Yeah, what are, what are we talking about next, Andy? Br- br- just bring, bring, bring me out of this, would you please? <laughs> it's time for the death of cinema. Uh, so this week we're going to be talking about the return of cinema. Uh, cinema has, is slowly coming back with the release of new films such as Tenet, The New Mutants, Unhinged. Um, we're also starting to see a bunch of new trailers and you know a lot of new things are releasing. Theaters are slowly opening around the country. I just saw a, a new article that Orange County has been uh, prepped to open up partially as well so we're getting there we are cinema is slowly coming back and we're going to talk about a little bit what that excuse me what that looks like what what our experience has been and where we kind of go from here right so most people i know have not gone to see any films they're not doing it uh they don't they don't (laughs) feel like they should yet um and that's totally understandable i mean it's 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 up in the air on whether or not you should. Yeah, I, I even Andy and I going to see films. I, I've expressed some some concerns, as has he to me, that hey, maybe we shouldn't be going to see movies right now. And that's that's a core problem of what's happening. Uh, a few weeks ago, an article came out from Ars Technica. They interviewed a couple of doctors and said, "Hey, do you think it's safe to be going back to theaters?" And they said, "No." They were like, "Absolutely nope. not." You you Do are sitting do. in a sealed room for two and a half hours with people who are laughing and chomping popcorn and blowing respiratory particles into the air, and whether or not you have a mask on, that's still putting you at a huge risk. I mean, it's basically a giant version of an airplane cabin, right? And a lot of people aren't flying because they're nervous. So they said, "No, it's a bad idea." Uh, when Mulan came, or not Mulan, uh, um, New Mutants, I think. Right. Uh, yeah, New Mutants came out, and Disney said, "Hey, we're not doing any screener versions of this for film reviewers." Uh, Screen Rant was one of the one of the film film review sites that came out and said, "Okay, we're not putting out a review of New Mutants. We can't see it safely." As well as RogerEbert.com, same thing. They said, "We're not reviewing New Mutants because we have no way to see it safely." There are a lot of podcasters and movie movie critics who have not been seeing films because they don't think it's safe to go see them. With that being said, <laughs> and, then, and then there's us. <laughs> yeah, Andy and I have been back like five times. So, Andy, uh, what do you think of those comments? Well, well, they're very accurate. You know, that it definitely is not the safest activity to do. Um, you know, you'd be more safe staying at home. That that's there's no, there's no um, disagreement about that. 
Um, however, we, as lovers of, of cinema, we want to go and see things. We've we've seen many of the classic films. Uh, we saw Indiana Jones. I saw The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight Rises. Um, so we've been going for a little bit, and but it hasn't been too bad. The theaters are not very full even now. On even our screenings of of Tenet and um, yeah, New Mutants, particularly. Uh, I haven't been to. A, an even remotely full theater and, and most of our theaters are only at 50% capacity as it is. Uh, so they're still not packed. Everyone wears a mask there. I haven't seen any um, issues with, with uh, mask wearing. Although the, the, the thing is, you know, pe- people do take them off to eat and drink. So that kind of, you know, <laughs> it balance. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They kind of, <laughs> it kind of defeats the purpose, but you know, I still wear my mask, and people are are doing it. Um, but that's kind of what it looks like now. Yeah, I, I'm in this. I mean, you, Andy, and I've gone to see most of these films together, so I, I'm in the same boat. Like, I I do not enjoy going to the movies right now. I, it's something I genuinely think about, and like for the next few days after watching a film, I'm constantly like feeling my forehead. Okay, do I have a temperature? I don't think so. I've been sneezing a lot lately. Is this a concern? And I haven't had any issues, which means things have been good. Uh, I have been, I, I mean, Andy knows I'm, I'm a fan of the popcorn and, and the beverage. So I'm going to be honest. I do take my mask off for things like that. But otherwise, that thing's on the whole time. Uh, I went saw New Mutants and like two two hours straight, mask on from when I walked into that theater to when I walked out. I mean, that's, that's my scene. Um, I don't enjoy feeling like I'm not safe at the movies and a lot of people don't. Um, and that's obviously going to affect things like box office revenue. We talked about before, of course, we also have issues like social distancing. Theaters are not usually even 50% full. It's a little bit under. Um, and that's assuming they sell out. This is just what theaters can sell. AMC said they're only selling about a third of their seats due to social distancing. So profits are already down. You also have to accommodate for people who are nervous and may not want to go. You have to find theaters that are open. You have to have showtimes that are running. There's a lot that goes into getting people back to going to the movies. Fortunately, based on box office numbers, it seems like people want to do it, right? I mean, it seems like people would like to go back to the movies. People want to embrace that feeling of normalcy again, like this is all over, <laughs> even though it totally isn't, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, people definitely want to get back in, in, you know, it's a great American pastime. People want to get back in the theater. It's still summer. It's still hot. Um, it's one of the few things you can you can kind of do in indoors um and people people want to get back in and it's like i said things are very slowly reopening and we're getting new films which has been crazy because we've like four or five months without new films and then like i said things are getting back back to normal slowly and we're on that pioneering front i guess that's right bleeding (laughs) edge of bold cinema that's That's off script these guys right here i there's been some there's been some innovations in in what has happened at the movies that I think are worth mentioning when we talk about going back. Things that have been exciting, right? Tripwire deals, things like cheap concessions and retro screenings that have worked that like I wish I should say I hope theaters take a lesson from. Um let's start with retro screenings, right? Old movies. Dude, you can run those things cheap as all get out. You don't have to pay Warner Brothers 60% of your distribution rights on Tenet to run Rocky Four. Who cares? You know, you, you can throw you can throw on the Blu-ray on your on your projector and your movie screen, and it'll work, and you can sell tickets to it. Obviously, it's not how it works. They do actually have to pay Warner Brothers a little bit because it's illegal to not do that. Um, or whatever studio you're running films for. But that stuff works, man. We went and saw Raiders of the Lost Dark, we went and saw Dark Knight, and they've been running tons of other stuff too at discounted prices. 
that stuff works great. Alamo Drafthouse here in Texas has built a company out of doing things like that, out of running unique, older features. People like that thing, those things. And I hope that keeps up, especially at Main State Theaters. You know, I, th- I think there's no reason that should go away. Yeah, I we, we've talked about that even before uh, coronavirus and the pandemic, that we went to see a lot of uh, retro screenings at places like Texas Theater and, like you said, Alamo Drafthouse. So that's been a winning strategy. And, it, and it's funny that a lot of these big... Uh, Big theaters just haven't embraced that because I, I think, you know, you, you can't just have Jurassic Park playing every weekend. But if you, you know, if you sparse out um, kind of the classics, if you say, hey, you know, next month these are, are what we're bringing back, you know, I think there's a strategy there. Yeah. Additionally, I, I think cheap concessions works. It really does, man. I, 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 not just because I like, not just because I like popcorn and drink, but man, five bucks for large popcorn is a pretty sweet deal. Given it's worth mentioning, there's no free refills on popcorn and drinks anymore. Those are gone, but they're very cheap. And I assume as things get around, they'll come back. I hope. Uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Probably not, right? Free refills are gone. We're never get, America's never seeing them again. That, that, that's like baggage fees, man. It's, uh, it's exactly like baggage fees. Those are probably gone for good, but we'll see. But that stuff works. That gets people into theaters. Frankly, the social distancing stuff works. I think... I should be allowed to have two seats separate me <laughs> yes. for the rest of my life. I don't ever want to sit next to a stranger again. Why would I? My God, I'm paying for this seat. But obviously that's not the way theaters are going to work. But my point is, I think all of this stuff is actually smart marketing. And and I see no reason why that can't continue when people inevitably start coming back and films like Tenet are opening the door for that to happen, right? Yeah, exactly. And like just like, how theaters are more clean now, how they're, they're doing more cleaning. They're making a better effort um, to have like, you know, sanitary wipes and, and uh, they're cleaning the bathrooms more often. Uh, so these are all good practices. And, the, and which I've said before that there's a lot of things we're doing now that we probably should have been doing before the pandemic as, yeah. as far as good health practices. So hopefully a lot of those are here to stay. I saw a video last night, uh, <laughs> a, a film reviewer in California Drove like four hours to go see Tenet at one of the very few theaters in California that had opened and was running it. And after the show, was they saw it in AMC theater. They stuck around and filmed the, the the ushers cleaning the seats with like these spray machines that look like giant vacuums or leaf blowers or something. They're like shooting positive particles onto the seats and discharging something to kill. And all I could think looking at that was like, why hasn't that been happening in every theater ever? Like that seems, yeah. <laughs> what, what you're telling me now you're being sanitary? What was happening before? And I used to work in a theater. I know it was happening before. The answer is nothing, um, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, watch out. But having wipes available like at the theater that says, hey, you can wipe down your seat with one of these on your way in. That's probably a good idea. And, and that's just what's happening at the movie theater. We're not even getting into video on demand and the strides that have been happening happened since then um andy can you talk about that for a minute because i'm, I'm well yeah that, so that that's <laughs> the other other, other go, big go thing that, that of course home viewing is has completely changed as well like uh, i mean mulan was a day and date release um we've had uh, like bill and bill and ted three which we're going to be watching next week surprise um that yeah that, that is playing in theater i'm actually going to go see it in theaters or you can rent it for 20 bucks on video on demand this is something that people have talked about forever wanting to be able to do both to have their their choice of of do i watch at home or do i go go to the theater um so that that's going to be a very different world even when things kind of go back to normal yeah and and the thing i'm i'm excited about video on demand i'm excited about big theaters opening back up the thing i'm most concerned about 
um, when we talk about cinema returning is going to be the smaller shops, right? The mom and pops, man. Here in Dallas, the Texas Theater still hasn't opened back up. I swear to God, if that place goes under, I'm burning this whole town to the ground. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm going off the rails. Uh, but I, I hope places like that are able to get by. Because Texas Theater, it's it, literally one screen. They get like two shows a night, and that's it. That's, 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 the, that's, that's their run. Um, they're going to be hurting. They're going to be hurting a lot because they still haven't opened. They still haven't figured out a way to be able to do this. They can't afford positron blowers like AMC has or whatever. They can't do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. They can't afford $5 popcorns. Like, they'll go under. They, they can't compete with that. So I hope this isn't like a purge of like small business ideals because I think in cinema – smaller ideas can grow up to be something so much larger right um, not only in film but in the way we present them and and things like video on demand have made some great strides but like i think a lot of the mainstays have room to stick around in the marketplace um time will tell i guess yeah. yep we'll we'll see we'll we'll continue to report on the return of cinema we will that that we will and with that being said we should probably move on to our final review of the episode i'm going to be handing along the summary on this one and this is a surreal film so i'm gonna be a little vague on purpose i think that's the best way to see it let's jump into it the movie is charlie kaufman's i'm thinking of ending things jake my boyfriend it's snowing winter is coming we have a real connection a rare and intense attachment. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Huh? What? Did you say something? I don't think so. Weird. So I'm thinking of ending things is a film about a young woman who is going with her boyfriend to meet her boyfriend's parents. They've decided to drive through a snowstorm three hours out to the farmhouse to meet Jake, the boyfriend's parents, uh, have dinner with him, and then drive back that evening. Simple, right? Not so much. See, it turns out the woman is uh, thinking of ending things, as implied by the title. Uh, It's something she thinks to herself and tells herself through monologue that we hear that the boyfriend obviously doesn't. Or maybe he does. Uh, The trailer is a little vague because weird things start to happen as our characters hop in the car and start to drive. They start to hear each other's thoughts. They start to see things in the road that they're not supposed to see. And once they get to the house, things only get stranger. It seems like the dog won't stop shaking or a fire starts in the fireplace that wasn't there previously. Characters get older and younger between scenes and sometimes on camera. Uh, we, we Characters change names and identities. And suddenly, before you know it, I'm thinking of ending things becomes a very different film, one full of, of not only surreal elements, but elements of the horror genre that are surprisingly poignant, of, of romance and drama and definitely a little bit of black comedy and, and enough, of, enough of a cocktail to produce this really fantastic creation that only Charlie Kaufman, I think, could make. Um, Kaufman is, of course, the director of, of films like Anomalisa and the screenwriter of movies like uh, Being John Malkovich, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So he is a surreal guy. Uh, and this movie makes no bones about being a surreal film uh, that has a lot to say about a lot of things. Um, the movie is on Netflix. It premiered just this week, and we are excited to talk about it. At least I am it is two hours long, and I'm anxious to hear what Andy thinks. Andy, 
What did you think of I'm Thinking of Ending Things? I really, really struggled with this film. Um, man, I had a hard time getting through it. Um, there are some incredibly long sequences. The, the opening scene of uh, our two characters in the car is about 22 minutes long. It's a 22-minute conversation, um, and it's... I, I actually it I dozed off at the end of it and I had to actually take I had to take a break take a nap and then come back to the film and and finish it because it was just so unbelievably so it is two hours and fifteen minutes it is a long movie um, I, it's one of these things when it was done I was and I started reading about it 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 grew on me a little bit like I found it more interesting but man it was such a, a chore to get through and and I think but like I said it is surreal that there are all these um, things that kind of don't make sense initially but they do the, the longer the film goes there's kind of a third subplot of of an old janitor at, at a school that's intermixed with all these um scenes of these of this couple going to to have dinner um but i i really struggled with it i really didn't like it i did it has grown on me a little bit I and mean, i do appreciate the idea i think there there is a good hundred minute movie here but man at two hours 15 it was a struggle Man, I like this movie a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's going to make for a good conversation. I, yeah, I actually enjoyed it. Um, I do think it has some problems, um, but I, I I, totally fell into like the surreal trap. And I think a, I, honestly a big part of that is probably because I have this like reverence for Charlie Kaufman that's probably unhealthy. Um, I don't normally go for like surrealist film. I, I really don't. Um, but this one caught me in just the right way and I really enjoyed it. It is very weird. I would argue it's very poorly paced. Uh, and ultimately, I'm probably not going to watch it again. <laughs> but yeah, it left me thinking and it left me wondering and it stuck with me a little bit. Um, so I am excited to talk about it. I think Andy's points are all probably completely valid because this is how surreal film goes, right? You're either into it or you're not. You're either on the ride or you're not. And like this one, I was kind of on the ride for. Um, but those car sequences are long. <laughs> yeah, there's two... There's two yeah car conversations which are each about 20 25 minutes long and i remember i was actually i heard an interview with jesse buckley uh who plays the his his, jesse Plemons' girlfriend Uh, she said that they did like 25 minute takes at a time like it was these really really long grueling takes um but man it's it's just it seems really indulgent to me like someone needed to stop this guy be like hey hey like we're, we're gonna stop yeah like this scene needs to be half as long and it's just like he had free reign and just kind of oh right overdid it so so let's jump into this a little bit. I, I don't want to get too much into the plot because I think it's worth seeing, but the trailer is pretty vague. So if you need a little bit more, um, a little bit more to see whether or not this is worth your time because it is a two hour, 15 minute film and it's very odd. Uh, let me give you a little bit more. Um, so our characters uh, are, are the, the girlfriend and the boyfriend, Jake. Uh, they're hopping in the car. They're going to mom and dad's, right? And and everything's pretty normal. Uh, it opens with some 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 narration by her, her explaining her inner thoughts, and she's basically saying, "I'm thinking of ending things." Like that's 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 where I'm at. You don't really get an idea of what that means. Um, like Andy and I were talking before the show, and I thought that meant suicide. Uh, whereas in the film, it's implied that means breaking up with the boyfriend. But Andy pointed out it's actually not really clear what it means. And there's a lot of themes in this film that aren't really clear what they mean. It's more what it means to you. Yeah, um, it's open to an interpretation for sure. Right. And as we as we drive along, as we're, as we're driving through this very, very harsh storm that is pretty much constantly going throughout the film and only getting worse, 
Um, this is when stuff starts to get weird. The closer we get to the house, the weirder things get. You start to notice inconsistencies in dialogue. Uh, our, 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 our main character will say, hey, I have to get back. I have to finish my report on rabies vaccinations tomorrow. And then 15 minutes later, she'll say, well, I've got that painting due for my painting class. And you're not sure whether or not those are the same. But then later she'll mention she works at a diner. And she's never been a waitress, so now she's something else. And you start to realize this film is kind of slipping through multiple realities of who these characters are and what they do. And it's dreamlike in that way. So then when we get to the house and the parents start to be older in one scene and younger in another, but linearly it's so consistent, you, you start to realize things are wrong, right? Something's not going quite right here and there's these great elements of horror that kind of tie it all together it's not scary there are no jump scares like it's not it's not what's happening here but you just kind of get drawn further and further into the mystery of what the hell is happening in this movie and that's where i think most people would be lost assuming you got through the first 25 minute car ride (laughs) because there's another one coming shortly after which is like i think longer and just as odd um so that stuff's weird, and and I got into it. There's a lot of literary, literary references, references to old movies and films and poems, and a lot of that like classic Kaufman chaos that he's all about um, that I really enjoyed. But it it's it's real heavy handed too, and like Andy pointed out, it might be um, too self indulgent. I think is what you said. Yeah. 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 So so when they get to this this dinner this dinner with his parents is a nightmare. Like the, they the four of them <laughs> sit down and they just. It's incredibly awkward. Like it's an, it's an the, awkward dinner. Like, it's, it's really good rude. Stuff. But after the twenty-minute car ride, it feels like a release. But to me, when th- when they get to the house, things get a lot more interesting. And like you said, you sort of get some inconsistencies. Like the the parents ask them, "Well, how did you meet?" And you know, we start to hear conflicting stories um, from all all parties. You know, I, I think Jake tells the story several times, as does um, uh, his girlfriend who's just characterized her name is never told. It's just the woman, young woman. Um, but we start to get inconsistencies and uh, again, things start to, to slip in all directions. And like you said, we start to see characters, older, younger, uh, things kind of manifested. Like there's a scene, like we've seen the dog in the trailer sometimes that he just kind of pops out of nowhere and you get the feeling that, uh, you know, it's almost like Jake makes up a lie that he has a dog and then the dog is kind of, kind of appears. It's like this manifestation of his own uh, imagination. Yeah. Um, and that, that's one of the things that draws me into the mystery of the film. And that's part of what I liked when, when they've been at the house for a minute, few minutes and Jake says, Hey, I should introduce you to the dog. And, and the woman's like, you have a dog. I had no idea there's a dog here. There's no dog toys or anything. And then just around the corner, boom, there's a dog. And you're like, where'd that come from? You know, what is that about? That stuff like is mysterious in a way that is intriguing. And and I want to take a moment to mention the performance in this movie. I like everybody in this movie. Because there's really only four 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 characters. Yeah, there, yeah. there are some extras, there are some additional characters that are happening in some kind of extemporaneous scenes. There's this janitor character that Andy mentioned that you can you can watch the film and, and decide for that for yourself what that's about. But um our our, our four characters are Jake, played by Jesse Plemons, the boyfriend. Uh, the young woman played by Jesse Buckley, who I didn't know is an Irish actress. Yeah. Who sells an American accent perfect in this. So kudos. This yeah. is like her first large role, I think. She's been in some TV and some films over there, but uh, she does great in this movie. Um, 
And then Tony Collette is the mother and David Thewlis is the father who are both fantastic uh, points for Tony Collette. Dude, she is like haunting as this awkward mother who's kind of losing it. Oh my God. <laughs> she's so good at dinner scene. She's great. She holds that whole thing down. Um, but every, everybody's really good in this. All four of them are fantastic, I think. What do you think, Andy? No, no, I, I agree. Uh, Jesse Buckley, she uh, she was in a movie called Wild Rose um, recently that was really good. She's done TV. Yeah, I, I didn't know that she was Irish, but yeah, her her accents are so good. I, um, you can't can't tell. You never know. Yeah. Does does a great American accent. Um, Jesse Plemons, who does so much with so little, like he's just it, it's weird because he he's kind of like the anti leading man, like he's not like a big buff guy. He's not particularly like handsome, but he's a great actor and he does so much with so little. And it's just they have this weird dynamic where. They like get along, but like don't get along at the same time. And he kind of like, uh, I, I don't know, like he, the, the, to go along with the horror vibes, you feel like she is going to get murdered by him yes. <laughs> for a lot of the It movie. feels like she's walking to a house full of axe murderers or something. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, he does great. Like, like you said, uh, Tony Collette, always uh, uh, just uh, a bright point in the and David Thewlis as, as the father. Um, yeah, I mean it's just all over the place, but but so the the performances are really good. Yeah, um, I, I did like the way this film is shot. Uh, Kaufman's pretty good as a director. The only two things he's directed are Schenectady, New York, um, which he wrote, and Anomalisa, which he also wrote. Um, if you've seen either of those films, you have an idea of where I'm coming from. Anomalisa is a stop motion film, so I don't even know how you start to get into directing that. That's a whole I don't dude. <laughs> I have no idea how you direct a stop motion feature. My God, what do you storyboard all that and then just hope the animators put it together? Schenectady, New York, however, if you've seen that, you probably have a great idea of what we're coming in on because that movie is so obscure. That's a level of surrealism I've never been able to crack. I still don't know what exactly has happened in that film. And this movie is an adaptation of a book. It's written a book written by Ian Reed called I'm Think or Ian Ian yeah Ian Reed called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Uh, and this is where I think this movie starts to take a tumble. See, Kaufman's previous films he's directed were written by him. They are his work that he is adapting for the screen as he sees it. It's as he sees it in his mind. This is somebody else's work. This is another author who's a different kind of crazy. Who's written a thing that's already pretty crazy. And then this is Kaufman's crazy interpretation of that thing. And that's where I think it gets too weird. And it just collapses in on itself because some of the things happening in this movie have no, like make no sense rationally, but then you can look up later what happens in the book and it totally makes sense. And you have to wonder whether or not this is Kaufman's interpretation of it and how he wants you to see it, or this is how he sees it himself. And, and I don't really know um, because he's Charlie Kaufman and the man is a, is a, is a probably a genius, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he created, um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, incredible yeah. film, like a classic of surrealist. And, and I mean, that, that movie has so much heart. And I feel like that's what this is missing is that I think there's supposed to be larger emotional stakes here and they just never quite get there. Like the, you don't get the, this, you know, you know, this relationship is troubled and that it's, it's probably not going to work out, but there's not, there's not enough emotional heft when it, I guess when it happens or when you, when you, when like you think the breakup is, is coming. Yeah, and and I think that's where this movie 
is really tough to get into because it's so nihilistic. I mean, even if it's title, I'm, I'm thinking of ending things, right? I'm, I'm thinking of, of stopping the way my world works. And, and, and that's already coming in on a rough note. And as you, as, as our characters drive further into the snowstorm and things start to get hairier outside, it starts to compound and they start to get frustrated with each other. And, and, they make digs on occasion, but other times they're sweet. And like, it, it, it really doesn't have the heart that I think his other productions have. And I think it's because this is intentionally supposed to be kind of a darker production. And in that way, the horror stuff works great, but it feels just a little like a, it's, it's too cold. <laughs> it's, it's, it's too cold, I think. Well, it's also just small. Like you said, there's four characters. You don't have a big cast. You don't have the the kind of effects that you've had in a lot of his other other films, like uh, Adaptation or Being John Malkovich or, uh, like I said, Eternal Sunshine. Uh, so it's just it it almost feels like a pl- like you're watching a play a lot of times, and that I, I feel like this would work better as a play. I think I think you might be right. Um, there's a great sequence in this that I think can kind of wrap this up because I can tell we're kind of coming up on the end of it. Um, the characters are sitting at dinner, right? They've, they've arrived at the dinner. And and the, the father, David Thewlis, asks, asks the woman, Jessie Buckley, hey, what do, you, what do you do? And she says, I'm a painter, which is inconsistent from what she said in the past. But this is not a film of consistencies. It's quite the opposite. <laughs> uh, she says, I'm a painter. I paint landscapes, but I paint them inside. I don't go out and paint them anywhere. And I don't put any subjects in them. And so that's, I can, I can paint things based on how I feel. And he said, what, like a sad landscape? And she said, yeah. And he says, well, how can you paint a sad landscape without a sad person sitting in it to show you that it's sad? And she says, well, it's about perception. Imagine you're the person looking at the landscape and you look at it and it tells you how to feel, right? And I think it's a great, that's, that's, that's a great bit of, of, of scripting, right? Because that's so true. That's what art is. It's how you feel when you look at the thing on the canvas, not what the thing on the canvas is. It's the feeling you get. That's what art is. It's your perception. (laughs) That's what matters. And that's exactly what this movie is doing. It is your perception of events that determines how you feel about it. It is, it is kind of just a series of, of vignettes presented to you. And it's what you take away from it that determines how much you enjoy the film. And for some reason, it hit with me, and I, and I was into it, but I also don't think I'm going to go rewatch it, and I still don't know who I'm going to recommend it to, which is, recommendations are coming shortly, so I don't, I'm figuring it out. But I think Kaufman is good at that. I think he's good at presenting something and saying, how do you feel? The problem is, what do you do when what you're saying doesn't add up to anything? <laughs> what do you do when you're saying nothing? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, what does it all mean? And I, I don't have a great answer. Or, or that, I mean, I, I think it does, by the end, it does all ca- kind of start to um, make sense and come together. And what these scenes with, with the family and in the car, um, it does all make sense by, by the end, I think. Um, you might need to do some extra reading. I, I definitely kind of unraveled it better. Um, there's a whole thing with pigs in the, like, because their parents live on a farm. There's a whole thing with, with pigs, uh, which yeah. I won't get into. But if you're going to watch it, really pay attention to that. That's some strong symbolism. Um but yeah, I had to like, you know, do some homework and research to kind of fully understand it. And I think that it feels like a failure of, of directing. Right. And, and I would argue the same. The, the car sequences, I mean, they could have the most interesting conversation in the world. It's still two people in a car for 22 minutes talking. That's not exactly filmmaking. I mean, it's a film. Don't get me wrong. I've, I've seen much odder things in film, but film is a visual medium. You need to show us and tell us as well, right? Don't just tell us. And, and, when you got two characters in a film in a car for most of the film, like you're not getting a whole lot of show. 
and and maybe it's a surrealism thing maybe it's a stylistic choice and, and film can really be anything i'm not saying this isn't a film what i am saying is that's a ch- that that's a that's a tall mountain to climb man that's it's a really that's a really hard goal to say i'm going to tell a story without actually showing a whole lot for these sequences and then other sequences i'm going to show you a lot and tell you very little which also happens in this film um it's an exploration into the medium i think which is what charlie kaufman is so great at and i think this is another one of his films that works in his library but it's not my favorite by his of him i don't think it's his best by any means uh, i don't think it's his worst I'd put it right in the middle of the Kaufman library. I think I'd put it maybe yeah, somewhere in there. That's where that, that's where that'd go. What do you think, Andy? Um, I, like we I said, just I, move on to recommendations. Yeah, I, 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 I think so. That, that's probably right. more perfect. Sorry. I, I do, I do enjoy talking about this because it's so <laughs> kooky, but yeah, it, it, let's call it spade a spade. It's a two hour, 15 minute Netflix film. I'm thinking of ending things. Andy, what, would you recommend? There we go. Would you recommend? I'm thinking of ending things. I'm going with hard. No on this. I, I, <laughs> I really, it's really, trash. I yeah, really no, struggled. I struggled with it, and I'm a huge fan of Charlie Kaufman and of surrealist cinema. Like I've really enjoyed things like Being John Malkovich adaptation. Like these early, these are kind of from the late '90s, early 2000s. Like these are some great works of surrealist cinema, especially uh, Eternal Sunshine, which I, th- I think he was either nominated or or won an Oscar for. So he's capable of incredible things. But uh, this just to me was it was overindulged. It is a good idea. I think it is an interesting idea. It's an interesting idea at 100 minutes, but it's way too long. It's incredibly self-indulgent. You have these really two incredibly long car sequences, which were, I mean, I was on my phone for a lot of this movie because I just, I couldn't stay stay in it, couldn't stay focused. Um, the third act kind of is more entertaining, and I think it, it does kind of pull the film together a, a lot more, but it's so difficult to get through the first two. And like you said, I, I don't want to rewatch this. I would not recommend this to anyone. Yeah, so I, I like this a lot, and if somebody told me they were a big Kaufman fan, I would naturally ask about it, just like I would ask about many of his other features. But I don't know who I'd recommend this to. I really don't. I, I don't. I don't know many people who are into surreal film like this. And and odds are, if you already know Charlie Kaufman and you've seen a lot of his work, you're probably already looking for this. But if you don't, I would not say this is the best place to start. I really wouldn't. I. I it's it's odd and and like I said nihilistic in a way that I think is a bit off-putting frankly um I, I did like it I did enjoy it I don't think I'll be watching it again anytime soon if I want to watch something like kooky and surreal on Netflix like I'll go watch Ballad of Buster Scruggs you know what I mean like <laughs> I, I'll go watch Roma like there, there are other things you can watch that will sate your curiosity better than I think this one will it's got things that are clever it's got things I don't think he's done before I I, I really want to underline the horror element stuff because I think it works great but I don't know it's just it's just not quite there um so yeah that's 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 I'm I'm thinking of ending things on Netflix and before we move off this Andy I, I do want to ask if somebody came to you and said hey I saw you put out episode 115 of off script Bold film, film review, the home of bold cinema, right? Uh, and I saw you talking about the Charlie Kaufman guy. I've never seen any of his movies. I want to start with one. What would you recommend? What's this? What's the starter Kaufman? Um, I mean, I think being John Malkovich is always a safe because it is one of the crazier ones. Um, yeah. His best, I think, is probably Eternal Sunshine. I really have a soft spot for adaptation. Uh, yeah. as well and, and to kind of just summarize that film is about a writer attempting to write a screenplay and the screen and the movie you're watching is that screenplay so it's kind of 
recursive uh, in the, in that way. Yeah, that's that's what part of what, it's weird. Not it's hard not to compare this film to adaptation in that way, right? Because when when adaptation came around, Charlie Kaufman was contracted to write a film script based on the book The Orchid Thief, and he had writer's block and he couldn't do it. So rather than write a script based on the book The Orchid Thief, he wrote an entirely new film about a writer who's struggling to write a script based on the film The Orchid Thief, and the writer's him. He's He writes the story about himself, and it's actually a super cool movie. And, and I think that one is an interesting approach versus this, where he had to adapt somebody else's book into a film, and this is the way he went instead. And, and I'm not saying this is worse, it's just it feels like it lacks a certain kind of like self-awareness or character. Mm-hmm. Um, that that had if I had to recommend one for somebody who hadn't started though I'd say probably Eternal Sunshine or being John Malkovich Eternal Sunshine if you want something that's like at least a little bit more idyllic uh, John Malkovich if you want something that's just like pure Kaufman yeah. my god um, but he's he, I, I do like the guy's films I really do uh, I'm, I'll watch whatever he comes out with next shoot he's <laughs> he's, yeah, he's not tour for god's sake too. he really is Kaufman is Kaufman is his own filmmaker that being said, we should wrap the show. Andy, what are we watching next week? We are going to catch up on on some older films. Uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music, uh, which has been out for a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to catch that this week. We might actually even see it uh, in a theater. It is, it is playing uh, a few places. And we're also going to be watching a new film on Hulu uh, called The Binge. The Binge! Which- which is uh, kind of like The Purge, but it, it's like uh, instead of like, you know, for 24 hours mur- or 12 hours murder in crime is legal, it's uh, drugs and partying is, is legal for 12 yeah. hours. So it's kind of like a comedic take on, on The Purge uh, premise uh, stars. Um, God, I can't remember his name. Vince Vaughn yes, <laughs> is yeah. in it. And, and like, it, it looks kind of like a high school stoner comedy, but it's on Hulu. Yeah. We're, we're going to be checking that out. It's definitely like a teenage road road trip boner comedy kind of movie. <laughs> I don't know why I heard the term boner comedy, but like it totally lands for movies like that. It has some you of the know same. exactly what we're talking. Yeah, it's American <laughs> Pie or Road Trip or like it, it's got all of those beats. And it's got a couple of the kids from Booksmart, so it's not yeah, like trying yeah. to be modern. That's what I was but, gonna mention. Um, yeah, so we're gonna check that out. I'm I'm excited about that only because I can turn my brain off versus this week where like oh my god the the whole movie we watched was like way too much. That'll be. You can totally zone out on on that. You can just relax. And then Bill and Ted 3, man, I've heard great things, actually. Um, that most glowing review is they they didn't they didn't mess it up. <laughs> it's yeah, not, no, we, we, it's we not cho- terrible. We so. chose to see New Mutants over Bill and Ted, and well, apparently it was the wrong hey, decision. Man, but I, you never know. According to those podcast stats, it was the right decision because we we're killing it. And we need you to help us kill it and subscribe to the show. That I didn't sell that at all. That, that didn't sound. Anyway, subscribe to the show. My God. If you enjoyed listening to the show, if you've made it all the way to the end of this thing, please subscribe. It's the, it, it, it would help us a ton. You have no idea how much it could help help us out. Rate and review if you can swing it to five stars. We'd really appreciate it. Just a couple words. Tell us you like the movies or you like the hosts or you thought Andy's pretty sharp. Uh, you know, just, just whatever. <laughs> We'd really appreciate it. Help us move up in the rankings. Tip your podcast hosts whenever possible. Rate and review. It's good podcast etiquette. If you enjoyed the show today, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com or just check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, where we post episodes just like this one. We post links and content and other things we do. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. You can follow us in all those places. And of course, we live stream the show every Tuesday afternoon slash evening-ish, depending on where you live in the U.S., uh, on our Facebook page. And we post the full episodes on our YouTube page as well shortly afterwards. 
So, with that being said, thanks for listening. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.